is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 563, recorded on Monday, December the 6th, 2021. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Jason, welcome to you. How's it going this fine week? Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Uh, it's going okay. It's okay. Been, you know, it is Monday. It is Monday, and Mondays have a, a way of being, uh, you know, particularly crappy. But uh, today was not too bad. Oh, that's good. I mean, Mondays do have a little bit of a stench to them in general, right? And this one is probably on that Monday stench scale somewhere, maybe a little higher than usual, it sounds like. Uh, yes and no. I mean, okay. uh, it has the advantage of being close to a uh, a vacation that I'm planning on taking around the uh, the holidays this year. Good. Uh, so I have a couple of weeks off. I'm looking forward to that, but that has its own stresses. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. My, my Monday was one of those Mondays. I had to drive a lot today and go out to the, the shop that we have that's way too far from my house that I don't love going to. And I got to go there again tomorrow and probably Wednesday. So uh, good times, but that's what happens when you have a job sometimes. If you lived in a van, you could just park there. <laughs> now you're talking. That's a great idea. <laughs> tiny, tiny homes are all the rage. And living in a van, it's it's good stuff. It's uh, it's stealth living in a van. You can uh -huh. get a like a, a panel van and then convert it into an apartment and make it look like a uh, a moving van of some kind, and uh, you're all good to go. I mean, there there used to be a sign on a, a highway not too far from where I live that was advertising for a new sub-development up out there, a little bit just outside the city. And the, the big billboard said, if you lived here, you'd be home now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great billboards. That phrase doesn't ever apply anywhere better than for people who live in a van because you're always at home. That's right. It's like a turtle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you're always bringing your home with me. Did you know the turtle shell is actually their ribs? That's weird. Really? It, yeah. It's actually their rib cage that's all kind of fused and melded together and then fucking sticking out of their bodies and such. It's weird, but yeah, it's their, uh, it's their skeleton. I guess that makes some sense. Your rib cage is designed to protect the vital organs beneath it, just yeah. like a turtle's shell is protecting the vital organs beneath it. And they, yeah, they don't have a, you know, they don't have ribs inside that thing. Right. They're just, it's all meat. Cool. All good, delicious turtle meat. Just yeah. Not that I've ever tasted turtle, but. I've heard that uh, turtles are delicious. Just ask Enid. I haven't had turtle either. I don't. I don't know if I'd eat a turtle. And I'd I eat a lot of I things. I couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd eat a horse before I'd eat a turtle. Let's yeah. just put it that way. And I would not eat a horse. Well, there you go. Just way too much food. All right. Well, this uh, got a little confusing and off the rails quickly, but uh, let's let's bring it back, shall we? Sure. It's a Walking Dead podcast that we do here, Jason. So there's been I've lots, heard that. yeah, there's been lots of Walking Dead to talk about lately and there's lots of it to talk about tonight. In fact, a couple of days ago, I decided there was too much of it to talk about. So instead of covering the series finale of World Beyond and the mid-season finale of Fear the Walking Dead today, we decided to split it up into two podcasts and just do the Walking Dead World Beyond Season 2 Episode 10 discussion today, and mm -hmm. then later in the week, talk about fear. Because 
I don't want to give uh, a lack of attention to either one. And I also didn't want this podcast to be like five hours long. So yeah, that's what we're going to do today. Fear the Walking Dead World Beyond series finale. And of course, everything that comes along with that. Yeah, and we, we did talk about it. And there's a lot of analysis that we did. So we had some options to do. Uh, you know, we're looking at doing vertical split versus horizontal split. So uh, horizontal split is what we ended up doing, right? So we split split the shows. So one show and then the ne- we move on to the next one for the next podcast. So we did look at doing a vertical split, which just would mean you talking and me listening. So it would cut you know, cut the chatter in half that way uh-huh. or probably more than half, frankly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we talked about doing a vertical split, uh, versus a horizontal split. And in this case, we decided to go with the, uh, with the horizontal split, which I think is probably a better idea overall. Probably the best choice. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean we'll never do, uh, the vertical split, but yeah. generally I'd say the horizontal is a better idea and that's what we've chosen today. So that means one episode, today yeah uh, another episode a few days from now probably on thursday so uh yeah walking dead world beyond it was called the last light just before we get to that i do want to follow up really quickly on something that you said last week i believe it was last week no i feel like i'm in trouble no not in trouble not in trouble um regarding the frozen zombies that felix and uh hope had to deal with when they when they went into the cold storage there. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you had said we'd never seen frozen zombies before, but at least two listeners, Rita in South Orange, New Jersey, and Joe in St. Louis, wrote in to remind us that, in fact, on the main show, in Season 9, Episode 16, it was called The Storm. It was when the Whisperers had buggered off to Florida or wherever they, oh, they yeah, go. yeah, that was winter. Our group had to travel through a winter storm and there were some frozen zombies in there. So we have actually seen them once before. Okay. No, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Thank you for that. I mean, I don't always pay attention to either what I see or what I say. So it's nice to have uh, people that are, not, uh, you know, kind enough to remind me. Yeah, of course. Like, no, no big deal, but it's, it's just one of those things that... Uh, you know, The Walking Dead, after after covering it on a podcast for this long, you'd think we would know everything there is to know about it. And I, I do feel like we know a lot, but at the same time, it's hard to keep all that in your brain. And, you know, it's one of those situations where I have forgotten more about The Walking Dead than most people have ever known. <laughs> yes and no. I mean, I have, I have a distinct disadvantage based on uh, the style of uh, show watcher that I've, uh, I've decided to become for this show. Like, I, as you know, I don't look at the internet right. uh, for anything. No. Nope. And I don't rewatch episodes. I don't go back and rewatch uh, previous seasons. Uh, I've been holding off on doing that. Yeah. Uh, for whatever, I'm not even sure exactly what reason, but that is w- completely atypical for how I watch a television show. For example, there's a new, you know, this Dexter series that's coming out or, is in the process of being aired right now. Yeah. I think it's on a week to week progress, uh, you know, schedule. So I want to watch that. So what do I do? I start watching Dexter from the beginning. Right. And I've done that every season of Dexter. I, you know, when season two came out, I rewatched season one. And we've talked about this before. When season three came out, I rewatched one and two. I've seen season one of Dexter like seven or eight times now. I know 
all of it. Yeah. Every single little thing. I've, the same thing has happened with Lost. I've seen Lost at least three or four times. Uh, Breaking Bad, I've watched every season uh, again. Uh, every time a new season ca- has come out, same thing with Better Call Saul. So those shows I know a hell of a lot about. This show, I've decided to break with that mentality that I have of watching television, which is crazy in its own right, and decided not to rewatch any previous season or show. So I forget things. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, 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 there's, and there's a lot here. Like when you go to Lost, there's what, six seasons? We're already in like, how many seasons of, of The Walking Dead have we had? Fear of the Walking Dead, the main show, and now World Beyond. There's a lot of content to have to remember from any given moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being a podcaster of, of, about this show specifically, uh, I should be expected to be held to a higher standard than what I feel like I'm able to achieve at this point. I, f- I, I feel kind of bad. Nah, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. It's fine. It's fine. I was just thinking that that's 20 seasons of TV so far, right? 11 main show, seven uh, for Fear and two for World Beyond. That's 20. Yeah. That's, that's nuts. Very few shows get 20 seasons, you know? And yeah, very few shows have gotten 20 seasons that I've actually watched. Yeah. Law and Order, for one, I've watched all the 20 seasons and then the 10 seasons of Criminal Intent and the 18 or 21 seasons of, My God. Uh, uh, you know, SVU, whatever it's called. Uh, I don't know. Special Victims Unit. I've seen all that, not multiple times, but uh, I've never watched The Simpsons all the way through. I don't think I could stomach that. No way. Anyways, it's a lot of TV. And uh, yes, I, I appreciate the reminder from listeners like Rita and Joe and yes. anybody else who reminds us on stuff because, you know, it, it goes back a long way. Anyhow, let's get into the episode, because towards the end of it, we're going to be talking about something that happened a long time ago as well. Yeah. But that is for later in the show. Right now, uh, The Last Light, Season 2, Episode 10, the final episode ever of The Walking Dead, World Beyond. And here we are. So this the show, the series is over. And I would say, Jason, that a ton of stuff actually happened in this episode, in my opinion, I thought there was lots of action. There were these big fights or duels, I would call them. There was a big explosion. There was some tough decisions. There was characters getting bit. There were characters killing each other, all kinds of stuff going on. But I also would say that it didn't feel overwhelming to me in any way, whereas it sometimes could when you have that much stuff going on. And I know not everything was really resolved, but I would say that most of the plot lines felt like an ending to me. There was closure to most of the stuff, I thought, and, and you know, that, that we had uh, dangling in front of us on this show. And I got to say, overall, I was pretty happy with it. In fact, I really liked this finale of World Beyond. Yeah. Which, good. which, you know, had you... Had you asked me that a while back, I'm not sure what I would have told you because there were times where I, sh- I thought this show really wasn't nailing it. Season two was better than season one, mm-hmm. uh, but even in season two, there was a couple episodes that I didn't think were great. But, you know, that being said, overall, I thought season two was good. I thought it built up to something. It, it led to something and it landed somewhere. And I think they did a good job. So... I'm pretty happy with how this show wrapped up. What do you think? 
I was pretty meh about the whole thing. I mean, we, <laughs> I, I agree with you that we wrapped up all the storylines. We did have uh, some exciting things. We had main characters die, main characters uh, getting bit and losing limbs. Uh, you know, as soon as, uh, as soon as what's his name got bit, I was like, yeah, that's, that's coming off. You got, it's got to come off. His arm's got to come off, right? Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's just, it's the thing to do. So we've had arms come off. We've had uh, giant green nuclear explosions, uh, well, which not, look like. not nuclear in this nuclear. case. No, it's a mushroom cloud. But, and, you know, to be fair, any large explosion is going to have a mushroom cloud. Yeah. So, uh, but this one was nice and green, which was awesome. There you go. Uh, green explosion. And, uh, so we've had, you know, giant explosions, we've had deaths, we've had, uh, you know, betrayals, we've had, uh, you know, people that we assumed, person that we assumed died last week. I'm like, is he dead? He's got to be dead, right? That only, it's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. He wasn't dead. Now he's dead. Uh, yes. but that's okay. Uh, so that was a bit of a surprise. It's like, Hey, he's still alive. That's great. What was she all upset about last time? She was upset about, um... Uh... Just, I'm not sure. I think just generally upset. I mean, a lot of terrible stuff was going down and, you know, she also, I think may re- may have realized what needed to be done there with that, uh, with all the gas because Huck sacrificed herself uh, in a way to blow up that gas and try to save Dennis and Silas at the same time by sending them away. Right. Yeah. And the garbage lady, like she told her exactly what was going to happen. It's like, how much time do I have? <laughs> Jadis, like, yeah. yeah. She told Jadis that, uh, you know, I'm using the watch to, uh, to blow shit up. You better get, you better scram. And yeah. she did. And she got out of there just in time. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Very true. Um, but let's start at the beginning here, if we can, uh, where we get, well, the beginning and the end, really, we get these bookend scenes for this episode, which is the kids, Two months ago, apparently, leaving the campus colony, getting ready to sneak out, and they're standing inside that door before they basically open it and step out into the greater world, right, to go on their journey. And I thought it was a nice reminder of how everything kind of started and how the characters started, right, and how innocent and inexperienced they were. And I realized to myself, you know, this does, or this feels like a huge problem at the time, having these guys go out into the world and having never killed a zombie or or anything like that. But looking back now, I almost felt a little nostalgic for that when I, when I saw this scene, I'm like, Oh, there's our group all innocent and about to step out into the real world. And we know what they're going to get into and look where they are now. So I, I thought it was a great way to frame this episode of here's where they started. And the final scene, to be honest, when Elton's doing his voiceover and we see them go out that door again into, you know, white, into the white, into the great white world or whatever, uh, (laughs) it it really worked for me. I thought it was a really, really great ending after uh, after everything else we saw in this episode. So that sort of was one of the things that made me happy, happy about it. Yeah. And Elton was wearing his corduroy armor. Uh, when he left at the beginning there, but uh, he did not have it at the end, which is uh, terribly unfortunate. For him. Terribly unfortunate. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll get into that. He he wasn't wearing it when he got bit. Now I did start thinking though, Jason, about the fact that it's been two months. So this whole two seasons of show happened in two mu- a two month time period. Yep. Which feels a little quick for me, I must admit. So I did a little bit of math here. And I came up with this from Omaha, Nebraska to Ithaca, New York. It's about 1100 miles. So that's 1700 kilometers for those of us that are kilometer people. 
Plus, in that time frame, they had to travel that distance, but also do all this stuff once they got to the uh, CRM facility. So let's say in two months, there are 60 days. That's a nice round number. That sure. means that they had to travel. And let's say they were traveling for about 55 of those days. Let's say they were there for five days. I'm not sure that that's exactly what it is, but let's just say. That means they were going about 20 miles per day or about 30 kilometers per day on foot. That's far, but not outside the realm of possibility, right? Uh, I think, yeah. I mean, for people that young, yes, absolutely. For me, no. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's not possible for you, but like someone who's 17 could potentially walk oh, yeah. that far every day. Oh, yeah. And when I was 19, I absolutely did. Uh, I, okay. <laughs> you know, I would walk that far easily. And especially when I was in basic training, uh, you know, 30 kilometers a day, we, yeah, we walked that far, uh, before breakfast kind Jeez, of thing. That's a lot right. of walking. I, I did think yeah. about it and that's about the distance from my house to your house. And I have thought about cycling that before. I've never done it, but I might. And obviously 30 kilometers on a bike is nothing for most people. Um, but walking, uh, 30 kilometers a day, pretty far, but that's about how- Consistently for like 20, 55 days, you said? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, you see, it's that consistency that's hard without taking a break, without having uh, uh, some kind of uh, respite somewhere to just, you know, rest your poor weary knees. Yeah, for sure. I, and I've, I've ridden, I've ridden my bike from Toronto to St. Catharines before. I did that once. That was pretty crazy. Yeah, I know a few people that have done that ride, um, but- you're right. I mean, 55 kilometers a day is one thing if you have to do it once, but to do it every day, sorry, 30 kilometers a day for 55 days. If you have to do that every day for that long, it's going to take a toll, but they did it. So good for them. Uh, the other thing I did is I looked up uh, <laughs> some places that are closer to Omaha, Nebraska than Ithaca, New York. Yes. And I think this is a fun list. First of all, Toronto, where you and I live, closer, mm -hmm. not, not by much, but a little bit. Houston, Texas is closer to Omaha than Ithaca, New York. Yeah. <laughs> Albuquerque, New Mexico, also closer. Uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> Nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to go there, but it's closer if you're going to walk. And even Saskatoon, Saskatchewan is closer to uh, Omaha than Ithaca, New York. So, you know, they went far. Uh, but it really puts it into perspective when you figure they could have walked to Saskatoon instead and got there quicker. Well, if you're going to walk someplace, walk to Saskatoon because at the very least you're walking to Saskatoon. Saskatoon is a much funner name than, uh, any, any place else, even Albuquerque, which is a pretty goddamn fun name, but, uh, you know, Saskatoon, why would you not walk there? I mean, it's not as fun as Regina, but close. Yeah. That's the funnest place on earth. That's what I hear. <laughs> uh, anyways, I just wanted to, I just figured all that out because why not? When, once they gave us that two month time frame, I'm like, well, I got to know now how, how long it took them. Uh, That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. So like you said, Jason, Dennis isn't dead. We assumed he was dead last week, not dead. Uh, and, but he's still there. And, you know, he was, he mentioned a, um, a former friend of his in the CRM who had a cabin in the Smokies. And this was a reference to the cabin that Al's girlfriend, Isabel was hiding in on fear. So right. A little bit of a connection there. Um, but other than that, like 
I thought, like I said last week, that his scenes with Huck were really nice. Uh, they seem like uh, a really, you know, they had their issues, obviously, but they seem at this point like a pretty loving couple, and I thought those two made a good couple. So I'm sad that he's dead, and I'm sad that she's dead, uh, but I thought they had a nice sort of final scene together. Yeah, absolutely. She put her hair back up to have it. Oh, yeah. Like she, yeah, because her hair was up, and then it was down, all wavy, and then it was back up. So, uh, yeah, you know, when you change locations, you uh, you go through hair and makeup. But, you know, we've talked about this. Yeah, of course. It's just what you do. Absolutely. I go through hair and makeup before I leave the house in the morning, then again uh, before I come home. I don't know. Yeah, and when you go for lunch, you let your hair down. Yeah, that's but then right. Then you do it back up in a man bun when you go back to work. Yeah, if I maybe a maybe last week, not anymore though. Cut all the old yeah. long hair off. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about the the goodbye scene between Huck, Dennis, and Silas, and all the rest of the kids, where Silas decides to stay with Huck and Dennis instead of go with the endlings? I thought, you know, like I said about this whole episode in general, it's just kind of meh. But you know, I thought it was okay. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it had big impact a little bit later, but, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, Silas didn't go. So, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really think the scene was all that special per see, se. See, I thought it was a really well, uh, executed scene or, or something like that. Like I felt the, the emotions between all these characters and I thought it completely made sense for Silas to stay uh, because he said, you know, if you guys are going to go to the Civic Republic and try to work on taking it down from the inside, you're going to need help getting there. And that totally made sense to me. Yeah, obviously it plays a huge part later on when uh, Dennis and Silas are stuck in that house and the CRM is about to capture them. And so Dennis convinces Silas to kill him. Um, that was a pretty brutal scene. Uh, it was. You know, talking him into doing that. And... The guy who plays Silas, whose name I should have in front of me, Hal Compston, I think that was the best bit of acting he did in two seasons. Well, great. You know, and I, I really, uh, I don't know. I really bought into it and it all, it all just really worked for me. And it's a terrible decision that Silas has to make, but it's kind of heroic in a way for doing it because it's going to, it's going to allow him to gain some trust with the CRM and then get in, which is what Huck and Dennis wanted to do originally, right? Yes. And I will not spoil the uh, thing that uh, this is exactly a ripoff from. Huh. I'm, Sorry. I, I don't even know what you mean, but you can tell me later. <laughs> I will tell you later. All right. Apparently it's a big spoiler because usually you don't worry about that kind of well, thing. Well, usually I don't worry <laughs> about that, but this is uh, not only will spoil... Uh, should I, should I mention the medium novels and movies? Uh, uh, so I don't want to spoil that shit. And it was a huge spoiler for me too. When I was, uh, uh, somebody spoiled it for me. And I, I think that's probably the, uh, the clincher here is that, uh, the one thing I'm thinking of was spoiled for me. Maybe we'll do it in a quick after hours, but, uh, it was spoiled for me. And that, that kind of soured me for wanting to spoil it for anybody else. Okay. Well, fair enough. I don't know what you're talking about, but, uh, I, I liked the scene and I felt bad for Silas and I felt bad for Dennis because as you know, I really like him, but it, but it all made sense to me. Well, at least he didn't come back as a zombie, right? Yeah, so yeah. he got, uh, he got, you know, shot right in the noodle maker and, uh, you know, so he wouldn't come back. That was nice of Silas. That's right. Exactly. 
Um, and since we're talking about Silas, you know, later in the episode, we see him later on in the future as a CRM soldier. And in fact, we see him in the Civic Republic talking to Jadis after they've taken him in. Um, and she's kind of confronting him about it and what he did and whose side he's really on. And the thing about that I thought was good is that it's not really clear whether Jadis believes what Silas is saying about being all in on being a soldier and stuff like that. But it almost doesn't matter because she thinks that she can mold him into the soldier that she wants, right? She thinks she can manipulate him or turn him into whatever she wants. And that's kind of an arrogant position to take, which I feel like lines up with Jadis's current personality. It does. I, I read it as she doesn't believe Silas, but it doesn't matter. I can, she could still use him for uh, the purposes that she wants, that she could manipulate him or mold him into the soldier uh, after a while. It doesn't matter if you're lying or not, I can use you. Yeah. And, you know, and absolutely that's an arrogant position to take and fits right in within, within Jadis's character. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that bit, well, there's a few other bits too, but I think that bit is the one thing from this episode that, yes, it's like an ending. It's it's a resolution to Silas's storyline a little bit, but I think that's the one thing that's the most open for potential future Walking Dead storylines, right? If they right. do this uh, this anthology show, why wouldn't there be an episode where it's Silas's rise through the CRM's military or the CR's military? You know, they could totally do that uh, or, or just show us a little sliver of, of something he's up to behind the scenes or, or being manipulated by Jadis. Like who knows, right? I think there's potential yeah. there for story. So, yeah. And I think that uh, eventually uh, Silas will rise to the ranks and uh, become a significant leader in the uh, CRM military. And uh, he will be the one that uh, will end up killing Rick. He'll be the one, Silas. Well, <laughs> that's how I see it. All right, why not? That story, I think that's potential for story. <laughs> well, it's uh, it, and it is, and I am going to spoil 1984, uh, you know, a book from before 1984, uh, which was one of my favorite books of all time, George Orwell. Uh, you know, at the end of all of his ordeal, uh, you know, he was against Big Brother the whole time, and then he got captured by big brother and got put through, uh, you know, conditioning. Yep. And at the end of it, the end of the story is that he loved big brother. Mm -hmm. So he, he came around to, uh, you know, brainwashed, being brainwashed by the establishment. And that's exactly what I think Silas is going to happen to Silas. You know, he's definitely, he's part of the resistance and he got, uh, it doesn't matter if he's part of the resistance. He's here now. And Jadis is going to use him and mold him. And by the end of it, I think that he's going to be all in and in charge and, uh, you know, murdering good guys. Mm, interesting. I don't know. It all comes down to what kind of, uh, what, what, what Silas, how influenced he is by, I guess, Jadis and stuff like that. Being accepted by an organization after being an outcast for so long is a very powerful uh, powerful thing to resist for very long. I, I agree, but I think you also have to factor in what he did to get there, right? He had to straight up shoot his friend in the face to put himself in that position. And I think that's powerful, a powerful motivator as well. It's like, I'm here to do something 
and this is what I had to do to get here. So I don't think it's really clear which way Silas is ultimately going to go. Yeah. But you're right. There's strong motivators on both sides. That There is. Maybe I just don't think shooting your friend in the face is a big deal. Oh, maybe, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> I would say that is a problem, and you're not invited over to my house anymore. <laughs> yeah, don't come, come over anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think I will ride my bike to your place. <laughs> Doesn't sound as fun as it did 10 minutes ago. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, that's Silas. Let's rewind a little bit here. We get two big fight uh, duels. The first one is Felix's fight with Frank. That guy's name is Frank, by the way, which I bet you didn't know. I, I barely even know the main character's names. Yeah, well, Felix. You know who Felix is. I know uh, who Felix is. Yep. Uh, Officer Carlucci. He has this once and for all battle with Frank. Frank is the CRM soldier who seems to be sort of Jadis's right-hand man, kind of, or always the one around reporting to her. And this one... While sure it was fun and kind of entertaining, this is the one that really felt the most like an action movie to me because Felix breaks out this special double-ended knife staff. You know, he's got this custom weapon. They were fighting zombies at the same time as fighting each other. Uh, They both had some really slick action hero moves and all that, you know. So it was fun. It was entertaining, but... It felt a little out of place, I thought. You think it was uh, kind of a, a Darth thing from Star Wars? Like, a little bit of a Darth Maul oh, fight? Yeah, Darth Maul with the double-ended lightsaber? Yeah. I mean, sort of, because he does snap that sucker together and he's got the double-ended knife staff, is what I call it. And, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed a little... It was approaching the this-is-a-bit-silly level... But, I mean, it was still fun to watch him, like, stab a zombie behind his head without looking at it, you know? Yeah. It, you know, how could that not be fun? Well, that's right. So, I was kind of my thoughts on this fight, and Felix made good on his promise. He killed the guy after he told me he would. There you go. That's, and that's a very action hero kind of thing to do. Oh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stab you, and then I'm going to use you as a human shield against him. Uh, and then I'm going to throw uh, the knife at him, and then I'm going to take your, his gun, and I'm going to shoot that guy and that guy and that guy. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. It's more or less, but yeah. And there you go. Because <laughs> th- that exact thing happened in, uh, oh, what was True Lies? Uh, True which Lies. Was, one of my favorite uh, kind of action hero-y kind of movies. He exactly said that because he was had a truth serum. And so uh, right. uh, he was telling them exactly what was going to happen. And it, and it happened. It was awesome. No, it was the only movie. This is a quick aside. It's very short. I'm sorry. It's the only movie I've ever seen Tom Arnold in where I actually liked him. Ooh. And, and I was blown away by the fact that I actually liked him in that movie. And I'm like, is, you know, do I like him now? And then I've seen him in other stuff and it's like, nope, not at all. Just this movie. That's it. <laughs> well, fair enough. It shows that he has a range wide enough that you can like him in one movie and hate him in everything else. Yes, that's right. There you go. He had the one he had the one shining light. Uh good. Okay, so the other big fight in this episode, Jason, of course, was Huck's one-on-one fight with Jadis. And this was one of those conversation fights, right? Where they they hit each other a little bit and then they pause to uh to talk for a little while. And this one was more personal because these two have more of a history together. And I found it to be a little rougher. You know, there's some, some blows were, uh, 
blown? No. <laughs> Some blows connected, let's say. They're blowy blows. Yeah. <laughs> I think all the fights in this uh, this television show are conversation fights. Even in the, uh, sorry, and Fear the Walking Dead. So it, it seems like the Walking Dead tropism is now that you have a firefight. Even if it's you're in the middle of a firefight, there's enough time to have a conversation while you're in the middle of that firefight. And nobody moves. Right, you if you've got two shooting positions, uh, you know, against each other, just just keep shooting uh, until the uh, the firefight ends. It's like no, you start fucking flanking each other and start getting for a better position. You don't just stand there like a friggin' moron and thinking you're gonna win the day by just continuing to pop your head up and shoot. You're about to die because they're gonna flank you, shithead. Yeah, uh, but the yes, conversations happen in the midst of firefights. Uh, it's bad. I guess we had that last week too, right? Although technically last week, the conversation happened before the gunfight started here. It was like hit each other a couple times, stop to ha- to talk a little bit and do it. I just thought in contrast to Felix and Frank, they didn't really talk much once they started fighting. Uh, they talked a little bit beforehand, but then they were just attacking each other. But it reminded me, before Felix and Frank got to that point, right, they were shooting in a shootout with the uh, other CRM soldiers from the forest, and uh, Felix did just that. He flanked them. He went around the other side to draw Frank away. So yeah, Felix knows what he's doing. Felix knows what he's doing. You know, it happened once. That's great. Yeah, it's once better than nothing. Um, But Huck and Jadis, I like this one a lot. Uh, near the beginning of the fight though, um, Huck disarms Jadis. She gets that weapon away from her and then she hands it right back to her. And I questioned this decision because I didn't know why she would just give her weapon right back to her. And I don't know if you have an answer. You may, but I have a call here from listener Dan who kind of does have an answer for this question. Uh, so I'm going to play that and then you you can tell me if you agree. Dan's right. I'm obviously, whatever my opinion may be, is uh, probably off the mark. So let's uh, let's completely rely on Dan. Okay, well, I, I didn't really understand, but here, here's what Dan had to say, amongst a couple of other things, but here we go. Hey guys, Dan in New Jersey. Uh, enjoy the podcast. Last week when you mentioned nuke juice, that had me laughing out loud. And uh, luckily I was in my car, so nobody, uh, not on the bus yet, so nobody was looking at me. What's this guy laughing about? As usual, World Beyond was a lot better than Fear. They've managed to turn it into a pretty good story, although it took a while for people to really wake up to, hey, the fascist militaristic society, oh, they might be the bad guys. It shouldn't have come as a surprise to anyone that a group like that would commit genocide. They advertised who they were plainly from the very beginning. Of course, uh, I guess real-world events make it clear the uh, inability to recognize fascism is... Sadly, not just a thing in stories. I was confused as to why Huck tossed that weapon back to Jadis. It seemed like a weird time to have a fair fight. After I found out she was stalling, it made a bit more sense, except for the part where she then warned Jadis by talking about the watch. Maybe stall her some more so she doesn't run away in time? That was weird. Anyway, as always, I enjoy listening to you guys, so much so that I put up with a whole season of fear. Oof. Looking forward to what's next. Bye. All right, thanks. First of all, I also wanted to mention that Dan had a lot of comments about fear in the call, which I've cut out for now, but I might use them uh, on the next show when we talk about fear. But as for the question is of why did 
uh, Huck give Jadis back her weapon, it was to keep the fight going. It was to stall her because she knew the watch was counting down to the explosion. Uh, but then in contrast, yeah, then she tells her about it and gives Jadis enough time to escape. But that answer kind of made sense to me. It's like, keep her here. And if I give her her weapon back, it will keep her here fighting me right now. Uh, yeah, it might be just good sportsmanship as well. Uh, which is kind of weird in a, uh, knockdown drag out fight to the death. Yeah. Uh, which it ends up being <laughs> really, yeah. uh, and it, it's, it's, it's a dumb thing to do. Like if you get an advantage on, uh, somebody you're fighting to the death, uh, don't give up that advantage. Even if you're stalling for time, you know, if you, why? So if she killed Jadis, she wouldn't be able to stall for time anymore. Well, and that would be bad. If she killed Jadis, Huck would be able to escape potentially, right? And get uh -huh. get away from the explosion and save herself. Yeah. So I suppose it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but I think that is a fairly decent explanation that Dan had, that she wanted to keep her there. But you're right. If she disarms her and gets this advantage, why give it back to her? Yeah. This kind of reminds me of Bruce Lee. Okay. Uh, you know, I watched, uh, it was a small documentary on Bruce Lee and his fighting style. And, uh, the question came up, would he be good in a, an MMA, MMA fight? And the answer is no. And the reason is that Bruce Lee learned martial arts, uh, by, uh, the style of martial arts that he learned is not a sport. It is to hurt somebody and kill them as quickly as possible. Ooh. And the idea is to completely decimate whoever you're fighting against, completely just wipes them out as fast as possible uh, because you want to get out of the fight and you don't want to give them any kind of uh, time to recover or, uh, you know, take, get advantage over you. So he wouldn't be able to fight in any kind of uh, sports championship because the style is just not there uh, because he would kill whoever he's fighting against. Okay. That's how he's been trained. So yeah. you put him in a ring with anybody who's doing this as a sport is going to get killed. And this is why Bruce Lee would not, you would not want to get him in the ring with anybody because it's just a, it's a way to die. As a theatrical performance, he, you know, was, uh, he was absolutely fantastic and he was so fast. He had to slow down for cameras because they couldn't follow his movements. They're just the camera. Uh, there wasn't enough, um, frames per second <laughs> to be able to follow what he was doing. It's like, okay, that was fantastic. Can you slow that down a little bit? It's like, well, and he had a hard time doing that, but he eventually did. His hands and feet were moving at faster than 24 frames per second. Yeah. It was Weird. just, he was too fast. And, uh, you know, if you're in a fight where the, the objective is to kill your opponent, you do not let them have any advantage at all. Even if it's, you know, good sportsmanship, you've disarmed them. That means you get to kill them a lot quicker. You do not give them their weapon back. You don't give them a break to recover and have a conversation. You stab them in the face and then you move on with your life. Well, then I guess all we can say is this whole thing was for dramatic tension. She gives her, yeah. her weapon back and they continue fighting. They continue talking and... It backfires on Huck because Jadis eventually stabs her and puts her down. That's the other thing about knife fights, what the uh, people say about knife fights, police say about knife fights, yeah. is if you get into a knife fight, the, the loser dies at the scene, the winner dies in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. 
<laughs> right, because you're both so, stabbed, right? Because <laughs> you're both stabbed. There's there's no way around it. Yeah. You get into a knife fight, everybody's getting stabbed. Well, that's kind of the idea, yeah. Um, during the fight, though, Jadis mentions Rick again without saying his name. She says she brought someone special to the CRM, uh, and it was an A, but she said he was a B, so he wouldn't end up as a test subject in Dr. Belshaw's lab. And she says she owed him that much. So this means that uh, A's become test subjects yep. and B's are something else. And we know that test subjects are people that are bit and and are dying because they want to observe them turn. But sometimes yep. they gas them and kill them just to watch them turn. We know that too. Uh, Rick was not bit. He was just injured. But I guess there was the possibility of them using the gas on him, killing him anyways, and she wanted to spare him that. So I'm not really all that much clearer on exactly what the difference between A and B is, except all of that, and that uh, Rick was an A, and she pretended he was a B. Hmm. Yeah, so that's where we're at with that. But it was nice to hear her talk about it again. Yeah, okay. Well, we have a little bit of more, you know, a little bit more confusing information that will add to the pile, uh, and then uh, all will become clear in the fullness of time. Yeah, you never know. Uh, but, and, but then basically, yeah, Huck is stabbed and she's lying on the ground. She tells Jadis that it's about to blow the gas. So Jadis runs away and escapes, flies away in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And then Huck appears to die just before the gas explodes. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. And poor Huck, she's dead and Dennis is dead. So both of them have, uh, moved on into whatever comes next. Yeah. They're, you know, dead, dead. It's sad. Uh, let's talk about Elizabeth. So Kublik, Huck's mom. Uh, Jadis takes her into custody for treason. And this is after uh, Kublik reveals that she does seem to have some remorse for doing what she did. She questions the CRM's motivations and actions. And I thought this was actually a really great scene between these two. A couple of good actors. And they were talking about sort of the two of them and how they've survived and each other's motivations and all that. And this was just another thing to me that revealed Jadis is just really become pretty evil. And it's the the power that she create, craves and that she wants to have. So she throws Elizabeth Kublik in jail. It, and that... This confused me. So, uh, why was she charged with treason? What was the what was the inciting act? Uh, it makes sense to you. Well, it didn't make sense to me. I mean, I think Jadis just wanted to get uh, get her out of the way. For well, one yeah, thing. politically, it's a great idea. I just right. thought, I don't know what the justification was. She even says Beale signed the order, so she's got Beale in her pocket as well. Uh, yeah, but Beale's got his own agenda, right? So, yeah. you know, maybe he wants Jadis, uh, you know, primed for whatever other nefarious, uh, ideals that he has going forward. Mm. So who knows what his motivation is, but, uh, you know, I understand the motivations. Why do they want to get her out of the way? I just don't understand quite the justification and if it merits, uh, you know, an examination compared to reality. 
Because, <laughs> you know, you can make up whatever you want in this friggin' fucked up society and, uh, you know, uh, backstabbing military, uh, you know, whatever you can get away with. As long as, you know, as, as long as Beale is on board, then you can do whatever you want. I think that you've committed treason by, uh, uh, you're, you know, you, you cut your hair and that's just treasonous. You can't cut your hair like that. That, you know, having a haircut, uh, it shouldn't be in a bun. It, uh, it's gotta be down and flowing cause you're sitting on a bench. And, uh, if you're sitting on a bench and you got your hair in a bun, fuck you, you're going to die. Wow. You're, you're all concerned about the up, down, up hair, down hair. Yeah. You, you should be wearing your hair in a bun all the time. It's the- just, uh, you know, if I had hair that, uh, was long enough to put into a bun, I would uh, I would put it into a bun. I guess especially in the zombie apocalypse, right? Short hair is where it's at. Yeah, yeah you don't want the, the zombies grabbing your hair. Even any kind of combat, really. Because that's just giving your enemy an advantage. Yeah, that's true. Any hair you can grab, it's not good. Well, anyways, it, it is a good question about how she justifies the treason uh, charge. It's probably there. Jason, or at least an attempt to explain it is there, but I'd have to, I guess I'd have to go and rewatch that scene to, to figure it out. I was so distracted by, I, I thought these two played off of each other very well in the scene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess I need to pay attention better to what they were actually saying. <laughs> I think maybe it's because her daughter was, uh, you know, a traitor. And her daughter you know, this, was a traitor. Yeah. So maybe the sins of the daughter or, uh, uh, still counted against the mother? I don't know. Attributed to the mother, maybe. Yeah, that, that would make some sense. Um, at least from Jadis's perspective, anyways. Looking for an excuse to put her away, right? Yeah. I might do the trick. Well, anyways, uh, at the end of the day, Elizabeth is still alive, but she is in the prison, which I think they call the Health and Wellness Center, which is a very confusing name for a prison. Well, it's it doesn't say who the Health and Wellness is for. no. You're absolutely right. So that's like, uh, that's like the freedom zone, right? Where you have, uh, I was think that was from Arrested Development. This is the, uh, this is the freedom zone. And inside this fenced off area is where you're allowed to protest because, you know, you have a, a, a right to protest, but we've decided that you need to protest in the freedom zone, which is, you know, fenced off. So we'll have to put you in a locked freedom zone in order uh, to allow you to protest. Yeah. Fair enough. It's the freedom zone. That's where you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's where Elizabeth is in the freedom zone, which yep. doesn't seem so free to her, I'm sure. All right, Jason Elton, he gets bit. He gets yes, bit. Yes, he does. Saving hope. And yeah. yes, it was a stealth zombie that got him because they were just standing there and all of a sudden the zombie comes out of nowhere, but he got bit. And Tallahassee's disappointed twin wrote in and said, Elton lost his arm. I lost my shit. Nothing was made of how he has developed into a character who isn't defined by his jacket, which ironically would have saved his arm. <laughs> Wake up. It's a metaphor for the show. Growing up is painful as you grow out of the safety of childhood things. Uh, I like that comment from Tallahassee because, um, yeah, he the character's developed into someone who isn't defined by his jacket, which is kind of what he was at the beginning. I feel like I'm defined by my jacket, aren't you? Maybe your hat. You wear a hat everywhere you go. I do wear a hat. I did change hats recently, though. They're both caps, uh-huh. but I've I've gone from, uh, I've retired my cap and I've graduated to a new one. Well, that's good. Eventually you need to replace things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyways, I figured Elton would die. Did you think Elton was going to die? 
No, because he got bit in, on an appendage at the end of an appendage. Uh, that's uh, completely survivable in the apocalypse. Uh, I don't know why it took them so It seemed like it took them a long time to get rid of that arm, whereas uh, it should have been lopped off seconds after the biting. Well, it might have been. We didn't see them amputate the arm, right? The next time no. we see him, he's lying in bed amongst all the doctors in the mall. Yeah, I assume that they brought him to the doctors in the mall and they, uh, they amputated the, uh, the arm there. Okay, well, maybe. But see, I was thinking he's probably going to die because this is the final episode. Why not have him die? There's no, uh, I mean, I guess there's reasons to keep him alive. But I thought if they're going to kill one of these main characters, uh, it looks like it's going to be Elton. But then he didn't. So, and as you said, they saved him by amputating the arm, which for the first time, maybe, in Walking Dead history kind of makes some sense because they're actually traveling with a group of doctors and scientists, all the kind of people you'd want around if you had to amputate someone's arm. Yes, if they had anesthetic. And we've talked about this before, that the uh, the Victorian method of surgery is fucking brutal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and amputations are just like, you know, give me a hacksaw. Uh, uh, here, you bite down on this. And I here know. we go. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But my, my point is like most of the time when people are losing limbs because of walker bites like Herschel or uh, other people, um, it's, you know, they, they cut it off and then somehow the non-medically trained people around them are able to help them survive, treat them enough so that they survive, which I think in reality would be really, really difficult. It but would he, be. But yeah. here we have Elton amongst doctors. So it kind of makes sense that if there's any scenario where someone would survive this, it's this one, right? Because he's got actual people that can treat him. Lack of anesthetic aside, they have the knowledge to do it. So Right. And you don't just lop the thing off, right? Like you, uh, you cut the skin so that you can use it to fold over later to right. create the stump and then you connect some blood vessels and stuff. You don't just lop it off and then burn it yeah. hoping that, uh, uh, that it'll be fine. Cause that's just a recipe for fucking dying. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is. But here we are. And I thought he was going to die, but then he didn't. And that kind of made sense to me. And I'm glad he survived because he did this voiceover for the final scenes of the episode. And, I enjoyed those too. And if he was dead, I guess he could have still done the voiceover, but uh, it, it made me happier that he was still alive. A voiceover from the grave is fine. Uh, so I think, I think you're absolutely right that uh, if uh, anybody's going to survive an amputation in the zombie apocalypse, Elton would have because of his uh, proximity to trained medical professionals. So that means that he's the only one, you know, uh, everybody else, to, you know, Carl, dead. Uh, uh, what's his name with the big, uh, big bushy beard? Uh, had a far Herschel. Herschel. Uh, Herschel dead, right? All, all these people that had uh, limbs cut off, uh, unsurvivable. But, uh, Elton, he's fine. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's less suspension of disbelief in this situation than in all the others. Yeah. All right. So ultimately, Jason, uh, the group splits up at the end of this episode, which is where we're at kind of now. And here's what we, we end up with. The scientists and Felix and Will and Hope stay to work at Cornell University, which is in Ithaca, New York, using the lab equipment that's there. So they continue, continue the science. 
I don't know if Will and Felix exactly are right there with them all the time, but we see them together somewhere and they have a dog. So they're yeah. living their best post post. They're in a house life. with uh, with fake wood paneling. Yeah. And that's that's all you can really ask for. That's right. You know, someone you love, a good dog and fake wood paneling, you're all set. Oh, it sounds great to me. Uh, Iris and Indira's people, but not Indira, leave to travel to Portland to connect with them and, you know, maybe warn them that there is this civic republic out there and they're not so friendly after all. But their intention, that uh, Iris says, is to come back with reinforcements from Portland. So maybe go on the offensive a little bit. And they go off uh, on their own to do that. So Hope and Iris, the two sisters that you never think are going to be separated, actually go their separate ways at the end. For now. Well, yeah, for now, sure. But it's one of those things where I'm I'm really glad they both lived. And I think this ending kind of made sense for them in a way because they've they've turned into or they are different people with different skills and different motivations. And it wouldn't have made sense for, say, Iris to stay and try to like work on the science with them. And I don't think it would have made sense for Hope to just up and leave and abandon that. So uh, I, I think it worked. And I also think these two have changed a fair bit over the two seasons, right? If you think back to season one, Hope started out as this kind of shit disturber sister. She was making her own booze. She wasn't taking things seriously. And she ends up buying into the idea that this science may ultimately make a real contribution to society. And she wants to do that. And then at the beginning of season one, Iris was this goody two shoes, you know, valedictorian who wanted to stay in line, follow all the rules. But when she was faced with a real atrocity that the CRM was part a part of, she stepped up and became a leader and wanted to do something about it. So I think that's character development for both of them. And I was, I was pretty happy with it. So I think it's the perfect ending for these two. And you know, separating them is a better ending than the happy family moment we would have got if they stayed together, right? That would have been sort of happier and more pull on the heartstrings a little bit, but separating them, be their own people and go and do their own thing, thought it was good. Yep. You got you to gotta grow up eventually. You got to grow up. You got to become your own person. I mean, someday it'll it'll happen for me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so I, I, that's really one of the main, well, one of the big reasons that I was happy with this, this episode was that because it made me realize that these characters did have some growth and changed and, you know, not all of them so much, but definitely these two central sisters did. And, uh, that was, that was good to see. Um, I guess before we we end up end things here, uh, Elton's voiceover. He he talks about originally thinking they were the Endlings, right? I'd forgotten all about that name, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but it, I thought it was kind of nice to bring it back. He thought of themselves as the last generation, but then he changed. He says, and he thought they were the beginning of something, but that doesn't acknowledge as those who did come before, you know. So I just thought it was a really nice monologue in in my opinion and uh and and it worked for for all of this until we finally flash back to the scene you know of of uh of them walking through that door again and once again just reminded me of where they came from and how much they changed and i don't know made me feel good 
maybe I'm a sucker for this, but it worked on me. Yeah, and he's coming around to nihilism, which is always nice to to see in a television show. Yeah. Where you know we're not the beginning and we're not the end and nothing we do matters. And uh, so we're (laughs) free to be whatever we want to be just because it fucking doesn't matter at all. I mean, it's funny because nothing we do matters, but at the same time, like everything you do does, you know? And that's that. I think this actually hammered that home in in a pretty good way. Right. Because you're, you're, yes, you are, you know, your time here is fleeting, but it's what you do with it. And, uh, all of these people are doing something with it now and have been for a couple of seasons of the show, even though it didn't feel like it at times. Yeah. We're here for a good time. Not a long time. Right. That's who said that. That's a song. It's, oh, it's it's uh, a lyric, but, uh, I forget by who. Yeah. I know that I can, I can hum the song in my head. Uh, yeah. white, no, not white snake. Anyways. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> Is your new watch talking to you? Yeah. I was scratching my head and apparently Siri decided to have a conversation with me. Oh, okay. Good. You'll have to figure out how that Apple watch works one of these days. One of these days. Yep. Uh, all right. Any, anything else about the episode, Jason? I know you were a little bit meh on it, but, um, I thought it was amazing and I'm pretty happy with how this show wrapped up. Yeah, people died. People didn't die. Uh, people went to jail. Other people didn't go to jail. Uh, some people uh, were, ri- you know, on their way to uh, rising to power. Other people got accepted into organizations where they don't have any uh, real desire to be there. So it all works. And it did have a, or it did open a door into the greater Walking Dead universe in a way, right? It gave us this look at the CRM, a brief look at the Civic Republic, which. Um, in this episode, we got a couple of scenes in, right? That's where Elizabeth and Jadis were talking. That's where Silas and Jadis were talking. And obviously it's set in Philadelphia because that was the Philadelphia skyline, which lines up with that teaser from like three years ago of a helicopter with Rick in it flying towards the skyline of Philadelphia. So, oh, that's good. That was a teaser for the movies all out those years ago, which... There's still no news on. Yeah. I've been to Philadelphia. I didn't recognize the skyline. Oh, I have not been to Philly. I would like to go someday though. I was there once. We went to the place where Rocky ran up the steps. Did you run up the steps? Uh, I don't recall if I did or not. Oh. At the time when I went, I absolutely could have, but oh, I don't okay. know if I did. Uh, yeah. We, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. We had a great, great time in Philly. Yeah. It looks fun. I'd like to go see a Flyers game one day. I got to check that off my hockey list. Oh, it's hockey. That's good. Well, I mean, that's not the only reason I would go, but it's one of the things I would do while I was there. Yeah. When you said Flyers, I assumed it was a hockey team. Well, yes. The Philadelphia Flyers. Okay. Uh, We got one more thing to talk about here. And in some ways, I worry it's going to take as long as talking about the rest of this episode, but let's see how it goes. There is, of course, a post or maybe mid-credits scene on- There's a post-credits scene? This episode. (laughs) Do we need to- Pause while you go watch it. No, I just, I, I don't know why they put stuff like this in the mid credit scene because, uh, or post credit scene, because, uh, you know, it's significant and it's meaningful. You're not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be, uh, you know, flippant. It's supposed to be glib. It's supposed to be, I don't know. I have, uh, um, 
a moral objection to the amount of content that movies and television have been putting in post-credit scenes. The uh, you know the amount and quality of uh, of what they're putting in there. It's actual plot points. They're actually putting plot points in post-credit scenes, which drives me friggin' crazy. It's the same thing as putting trailers. In, Little tiny trailers for trailers. You go, you go to watch a trailer. You got a five second trailer before you even watch the trailer. Yeah, it's like, are you showing me a trailer for the trailer? Because I'm about to watch the trailer. Why do I need a trailer for the trailer? I'm watching the trailer. It's confusing. Well, I don't understand. It's true. Those little trailer for trailers are dumb. But I don't know. I'm okay with these these scenes because even this one, uh, you know, it was long and there was a lot going on here. Uh, it doesn't relate to this episode or really even the whole series really that directly other than being about scientists and studying the infection, which World Beyond had a fair bit of, right? So that kind of ties it together. But um, let's go through it. And to be honest, I'm going to go through this a little bit more like I do with a episode of The Walking Dead where I scene by scene the sucker. So all right. It's, you speak French because there's a lot of French. There is a lot of French. The whole thing is in French. Well, not the whole thing, but uh, it starts with, um, you know, in, in France. And there is somebody watching a video communication on hard drives that look like they've been sitting around for a long time between Dr. Jenner, Noah Emmerich, all the way back from season one of The Walking Dead And he's talking to presumably or recording a message to presumably a French scientist. And if you recall, way back to that episode, which was season one, episode six. Six. Yep. I do recall it. He, Jenner said that the French might have made some progress studying the infection uh, and they were the last to hold out. Now, I do have a couple of clips from that episode, which I pulled. Okay. Uh, and I guess we might as well play them right now. The first one is a um, scene. The first voice you're going to hear is Andrea, someone who hasn't been on the show in a while. Mm-hmm. And then if you recall Jackie from way back then, she makes an appearance here too. So Jackie was the one that uh, stayed at the CDC. Correct. And blew up with the building. Yeah. Uh, probably. Okay, fair. (laughs) Uh, So here's a clip from The Walking Dead, Season 1, Episode 6. You have no idea what it is, do you? It could be microbial, viral, parasitic, Mm. fungal. Or the wrath of God. There's that. Somebody must know something. Somebody, somewhere. There are others, right? Other facilities? There may be some people like me. But you don't know? How can you not know? Everything went down. Communications, directives, all of it. I've been in the dark for almost a month. So it's not just here. There's nothing left anywhere. Nothing. That's what you're really saying, right? So Jenner doesn't ask answer that question about there being nothing anywhere and anywhere else. Uh, but later on in the episode, he turns to Andrea kind of randomly, and he says this. It was the French. What? They were the last ones to hold out, as far as I know. While our people were bolting out the doors and committing suicide in the hallways, they stayed in the labs till the end. They thought they were close to a solution. 
What happened? Same thing that's happening here. A power grid. Ran out of juice. So he says straight to her, it was the French. Now we'll come mm -hmm. back to that in a minute. Uh, because in this post credit scene, um, it goes on. Jenner starts talking about studying fresh samples, which is similar to what Lila Belshaw was doing in World Beyond. And he mentions that the French scientists were trying to jumpstart the circulatory system in hopes of short-circuiting the brain, brain or regaining function. And I thought that scene there was a little bit of sort of mumbo jumbo that may or may not make medical sense. Uh, well, that's exactly how you start a standard transmission car uh, that isn't starting. You roll it down a hill <laughs> yeah. and you jumpstart the, uh, the engine that way. So... Yeah, it makes perfect sense as long as it, you know, the human being is analogous to a manual transmission vehicle. Pop the clutch and the engine turns on. Yeah. There you go. Uh, that's the phrase I was looking for. I didn't uh, quite get, but yeah, pop the clutch. You got to, so you got to jumpstart the, uh, you got to jumpstart the circulatory system. So you got to put a pump in line uh, that, uh, you know, the heart pumps the blood through the body. So if you pump the blood through the body, it'll get the heart started. You just got to pop the clutch. What does that mean? Pop the clutch. Kick, uh, kick him in the privates? Is it, <laughs> well, that's popping the clutch right there? Yeah, why not? It should okay. be. Okay. All right. <laughs> it should be. I'm, I'm with you now. I got the, uh, I'm, I'm on board with the science. All right. Well, that's what he, that's how he explains it. Now at this point, uh, so this, this woman is watching this tape of Jenner. A man approaches her from behind, points a gun at her, and they speak all in French. He asks if she is one of the doctors. She says yes. He asks if she was running and hiding all this time. She basically says yes. He wants to know if she was a member of the Primrose team, and she says no, she was on the Violet team. He wants to know where the Primrose team are, and he says, or she says they were at a conference in Toledo, Ohio, and kind of giggles about being, you know, in the U.S., and she says that she somehow hoped that they returned and were still working to end all of this, even after all of this time. So this group, the Primrose team, went to Ohio way back 10 years ago, 11 years ago, whatever it's been, and she was hoping that somehow they had, that had made it back. And the guy says that if they had, or if any of the teams come back, they won't jail them like the others. Instead, they'll kill them. So that's a lot of information. And yeah. also the fact that he says, if they come back, we will jail them and, or sorry, we won't jail them this time. We'll kill them. That to me implies that there are jails. And so therefore some level of civilization in whatever place these people are living. I would think so. And they're, they're not calling them health and wellness centers. No, they're not. If they're, that's right. So like if they have jails, it means they have some level of society. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Okay. So, you know, uh, Negan was in jail for six years. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. But you but could that was argue. some level of society. That's what right? I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Some level. We don't know how many people there are there, right? We have nothing. We don't know anything about it other than these two. Now, uh, he says, the guy pointing the gun at her says that the teams started this and then made it worse. And then he doesn't hesitate and he shoots the doctor in the head. In the head, Jason. Yep. 
And the shot we see is sort of from behind him. So it's a wider shot of the building or the room they're in. And painted on the wall are the words, Les morts sont nés ici, which is French for the dead were born here. So to go back to what Jenner said in The Walking Dead Season 1, Episode 6, when he turns to Andrea and says, it was the French, it, it almost feels like he wasn't saying it was the French that held out. He was saying it was the French that created this. That did this. That did this. And the fact that this guy with the gun says the team started it, then made it worse. All this seems to mean that the French created this virus. They tried to fix it. They ended up making it worse. And uh, we see the results of that worsening. Because the thing that happens next after he turns around and leaves is alarming. (laughs) In a hurry after he shoots her in the head. Like he didn't didn't wait around for anything. He just fucking booked it. He got out of there. This woman reanimates extremely quickly. Um, She stands up, goes straight for the door very quickly. She begins banging on this door hard, so hard that it is shaking and appears to be denting. And it looks like a big metal door. Uh Uh-huh. The tape of Jenner is still playing in the background this whole time. And he mentions something about variant cohorts that apparently the French have seen, but they have not seen in the U.S. So... As I said, the French created it. They tried to fix it. They ended up making it worse. And in Europe, we seem to have fast, strong rage zombies instead of the slow ones that are in North America. And this is all in context of this scene, because if that one team, the Primrose team, went to Toledo, they already had this infection in them. They brought it to the United States, but they left before the French made the rage version of it by accident. So that never made it to North America because the world fell apart after that. Right. And people couldn't travel across the uh, oceans. So this is a huge development for the walking dead universe. It is. And it kind of, it makes 28 days later and 28 weeks later makes sense because that all happened in uh, Europe. Right. Happened in Britain. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the rage zombies that uh, that happened in those movies, yeah, that makes sense now. Maybe it's all part of the same uh, Walking Dead universe. Well, maybe, but even if it's not, this is quite the development. Oh, now, yeah. William, a listener in Ottawa, Ontario, wrote, the headshot didn't kill the woman. She turned faster, moved faster, and was stronger. I enjoyed seeing that, and it gives more weight to finding something that'll speed up decay now that they can be a ticking clock and and i hadn't thought of that but he ties this back to what we see in world beyond in that they need to if these zombies turn this quickly and they're this strong and they're this fast like there's no hope for a living person at at that point right and but if they can do something that prevents them from doing that or reverses the like rage version of this thing or whatever we want to call it that seems like a step in the right direction which kind of ties back into what world beyond was doing so yeah there's a lot here uh the rage variant is interesting uh because the rage variant uh you know zombies do not stop they do not rest they do not stop they uh they just keep moving forward no matter what 
but they're not fast, right? They're right. slow and persistent. The rage variant, you know, if you were using all of your muscle power without concern for uh, conserving energy or getting tired, uh, you know, it would be incredibly scary, which is what I think this variant is. It's, uh, you know, you're using all of your muscle. You don't even have to be superhumanly strong. You just have to be using all of your muscles all of the time. Like there's, uh, we have the ability as, you know, animals to vary the amount of power that we use in any given motion. And we've all done this, you know, you pick up a carton of milk and you expect it to be full, but it's empty and your thing goes flying. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, you've put too much muscle power into it uh, unexpectedly. Uh, you know, imagine if you had to use all of your muscle power all of the time for everything you did. Uh, you know, doing stuff would be hard, but you'd get a lot done. You know, if you were shoveling, all you have to do is just say, turn on the <laughs> shovel program and you're shoveling at full power all the fucking time. Uh, and that would be really nice. So this rage variant. If, uh, if they're doing that, uh, you know, uh, having an, uh, an enemy or, you know, having someone come at you who is, uh, as fast as they possibly can go all the time without tiring is pretty frightening. Yes. It's, there is no way to, uh, escape that really, uh, for any permanence anyways. But what is this? Like, how do we feel about this, Jason? This is a this is a fundamental change to everything that we've be known about the, the zombies in the Walking Dead universe until this point. So, like, what is what does this mean? I I started wondering, does this affect the Walking Dead main show at all? And I think the answer to that is probably not at all. I I don't think that this fact that we have fast strong zombies introduced into this universe will have any impact on that show before it ends um and that may well, simply it, be because these these versions of the zombies never made it to north america and they don't really have any way of doing that until someone comes across on a boat and brings it over yeah you just point a zombie at the ocean and they start swimming and they do not stop until they get to america i mean I six guess. years sure why not Six, they don't need years. to breathe. They don't yeah. need to. They don't need to eat. They don't need to rest. They just go right. Yeah, Man, I don't see any reason why not. I, 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 you're right. It could happen. I just, I don't. I just feel like, in terms of a TV show standpoint, they're not going to introduce this on on The Walking Dead in any way, in in any meaningful way. You know, like uh, maybe it'll be a stinger at the end where suddenly the show's over and we get a post credit scene of a fast zombie again. I don't know. That'd be stupid. Well, the shows are all running to an end, right? Or the main show is running to an end. There's no reason why we can't have uh, this variant show up and uh, mess things up. And maybe the next. Uh, uh, you know, Carol and Daryl happy hour will be all about fast zombies and them having to uh, run them on Daryl's motorcycle. Oh, that would be fun. Nothing like chasing, uh, chasing a motorcycle or running away from zombies on a motorcycle. Yeah. It could be. I, you know, I wondered though, like if this happened, if this started in France, it's on mainland Europe, which is connected to the Middle East, to Asia, to Africa. They're all connected by land. So these zombies presumably exist in all of those continents and really North and South America might be the only ones that don't have them. So does this mean we might get a show set in Europe 
or other parts of the world where it's a completely different show, different style of zombie, but still technically exists in the Walking Dead universe? It could. Yeah. The, you know, the, the anthology show. There's no reason why we can't have, uh, you know, different variants in different regions. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, I was thinking not just the anthology show, right? Obviously they could do it there, but I, I wonder if there would be a new, like, not even spinoff, but new Walking Dead show set in, I don't know, anywhere in Europe or any of these other places where the zombies are just fundamentally different. I, I don't know. Mm. It certainly opens up the possibility for it. Anyways. But it's a huge deal. I think it's a huge change. And uh, I'm I'm frankly surprised they have gone here. And one of the other things I started thinking about is that I wonder if this means that Kirkman is just not really in charge of this anymore. Because I've always believed that he would never go for this kind of thing. You know, he had his Kirkman vision of what zombies were. And he never wanted to reveal the cause of it. He never wanted to introduce fast zombies. He didn't want to get into that. He wanted to tell stories about people surviving in this world and what they sort of do to to maintain that survival. And it doesn't feel like the th- kind of thing Kirkman would do, but I guess you never know. Maybe he's on board, maybe he's not, or maybe he has completely sold out to AMC and Gimple is 100% taken over. Maybe. I mean, it's... Uh... You know, maybe it's the same thing that happened with Sigourney Weaver and Alien Resurrection. You know, uh, you know, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have Ripley show up. I don't know. You know, she Sigourney Weaver's moved on with her career and stuff, but uh, she said in an interview that they drove a dump truck full of money up to my house. <laughs> I'm yeah. not gonna say no. Yeah. Right? So maybe he's in the same boat. It's like, uh, you know, you want to do what? It's gonna make how much? Ha- I'm gonna get a you know a, a new house with a heated pool. <laughs> okay <Sure>. why not <laughs> yeah you know do what you want it's uh you have to let go eventually i mean you and i both know that that uh you know when you're working on projects and the project ends you don't complete the project you let it go right you just <laughs> right. you go okay you know warts and all this is not done but it's good enough totally uh, and you, you just you be and a lot of times me personally i don't know about you so much but uh i'm forced you know, my tenure on a project is uh, not up to me when it's time for me to walk away. It's just, you know, you're on a project for a while. And it's just like knowledge transfer, what you know, get the fuck out of there. It's yep. like, okay, well, here, this is the mess I'm handing over. You know, good luck. Well, Have fun. I've had to learn that finished is more important than perfect. Yeah, no, uh, uh, you know, perfect is the enemy of good enough. There you go. Right. You know, perfection, if you aim for perfection, you're going to fail. But if you aim for good enough, you know, you might achieve it. You so might. Try for, try for good enough. <laughs> good good plan. Well, I mean, what, what do you think of all, all this, man? Like, I, I think this is a, a huge change. Honestly, I think it's a bit of a, a risk to, to do this. But I also can see why they're doing it. You know, they've, they've really mined the walking dead universe for what it was to this point, three shows, 11 seasons of the main show. And I'm not surprised that AMC or whoever's decision this was, is kind of feeling like we got to do something new here, or this is going to be stale. And we don't want the walking dead universe to be stale, you know, immediately after we kind of invented it. So, um, I can see their reasoning, but I also think this is a big risky change and, 
I'm surprised. I'm a little surprised they're they're going for it. I'm not. You got to change things up ever, after you know a couple of decades or a decade or and uh, you know and change yeah kind of things. You got to you got to introduce new variables. You got to you got to put in a scrappy do or a cousin Carl or cousin uh, who is the cousin anyway. Uh, you have to, you have to add in things. You have to change things. You have to jump the shark every once in a while. So you just, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta shake it up. Do you think so, that's what it is? A jumping the shark moment? No, but you gotta, you gotta do it every once in a while. You, you, you gotta take the chance yeah. uh, of jumping the shark by introducing new things to keep it fresh. Right. Uh, so this kind of thing, it seems to me like, um, it seems like a progression. Right, the zombies have not been a direct threat in a long time, since like season two, or se- uh, season three after Herschel's farm. That first, that opening, uh, the cold open of season three, where they were going through the house, yeah. and nobody said anything, and they were just uh, clearing the house and getting the stuff. Uh, since then, zombies have not been a direct threat. We've had to have zombies controlled by evil humans in order to make the zombies a threat again. Yeah. They need to, need to be herded. They need to be uh, funneled. They need to be uh, corralled. They need to be put in underground caves for crying out loud uh, in order for them to be a threat. Now, with this one post-credit scene, uh, you know, that lady that got shot in the head and they became a really strong rage zombie, holy shit, that's a threat. That's mm-hmm. a, that's it's, and it's different and it's exciting. And we've seen it before in other properties, uh, 28 days later, for example, the rage zombie is, uh, is another thing entirely, but by introducing the rage zombie into this, I'm kind of on board with this. I want to see where this goes. Okay. You know, it makes me think that the other shows are probably going to be left behind if they don't include rage, rage zombies. Now I want to see where this goes, not where. Uh, I'm a little worried about Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, you know, maybe I don't care where that goes anymore, uh, which is kind of sad and true all at the same time. Okay. Who knows? Well, well, listen, with Fear the Walking Dead, which we're going to cover later this week, there was some big news on that show too, which I'm actually not going to bring up right now. We'll talk about it on the next podcast. You just brought it up. You know that, right? Okay. Well, I'm not going to say what it is and uh, you, you're welcome to go look it up if you want, but I don't think you will. So uh, we will talk about that next time. I will forget about it. So I, it's fine. My feeling here is, are they doing too much? Is this too much of a change all at once? Because it's not just the fact that these um, this, this woman turns into a, a strong, fast, super dangerous zombie. She's shot in the head and doesn't go down, like still- yep still changes. This means there is no way to stop these zombies other than, you know, grind them up or chop them up into little pieces. <laughs> Even then, like we're looking at Deadpool level uh, survivability factors here. Well, they're not going to reconstitute their bodies if you grind them up into uh, through a meat grinder, but it's just that like when one's coming at you, if you can get a headshot, doesn't matter. You're still dead. You were still attacked by this thing. It means that anyone who dies... Presumably, actually, I, we don't know that for sure, but anyone, I was going to say anyone who dies, r- whether you stab them in the head or not, comes back. So the second somebody dies, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Like, is it too much? Is this too much of a progression all at once and too dangerous? Because I don't see any way for the living to survive when put up against even a single zombie like this. 
and that's why it's not too much because it's interesting. Okay. You know, like, you know, the movie Big Fish, you remember that movie? Love that movie. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Uh, Ewan McGregor, uh, when he got older, uh, you know, he said, one of the quotes that I, I love from that movie is, good things take time. Great things happen all at once. Huh. Well, here you go. This is happening all at once. So maybe it's <laughs> yeah. a great thing. <laughs> That's a good quote. I like that. I'm going to use that. It is. Yeah. Well, I guess the only other point I have to make on this is that in a way, this feels a little bit like a return to what Frank Darabont wanted to do all those years ago before all he those got- centuries ago? All, before he got canned. Yeah. Now I'm not saying he was into, you know, fast zombies or- rage or, you know, super strong or anything like that. But, um, you know, the CDC was all his idea. And this scene does a pretty good job of retconning, you know, what happened. And I, that's what I wanted to say about those clips that I played of, of Jenner. You know, there's no way, even though he said it was the French, there's no way that they had this in mind back then. But this scene took that and turned it into something that seems meaningful now, right? So... Retroactive contra- or, uh, continuity for sure. But, yeah. But it does remind me a little bit of what Darabont wanted to do because he wanted to go more into, I think, something a little bit closer to this and get into what it was that caused the zombie virus and, and stuff like that. And so I had this feeling that at some point over the last 10 years, I had read a quote from Kirkman about his feelings on the CDC in that episode. And I found it. It was from a Hollywood Reporter interview he did in 2014. And Kirkman said this, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have done the CDC episode. It possibly gave away too much information and was such a big change very early on in the series. I feel like there might have been a better way to wrap up the first season. It ended up being a fun episode. I love the character of Dr. Jenner and thought Noah did an amazing job. But there were things in that episode that I think very much seem very much not of the Walking Dead world. I've been careful in the comic series to not say what's happening in other parts of the world. It's something that's going to be fun to explore in the spinoff series. But the fact that France is mentioned in that episode and other things like that, I probably would have steered away from that stuff if I had to do it all over again. Yeah. So he kind of acknowledges both sides there. Fun to explore in the spinoff series. He's talking about fear, you know, before it had started. Uh, But that's just the other side of the continent, North America. It's not anywhere else. Um, But he also touches on the idea that he never really wanted to give away information on how it started or whatever. He's not interested in that, right? He was interested in the interpersonal relationships in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Not anymore, I guess. Now we're, now we're going here. Yeah, we're going, uh, we're taking, yeah, we've definitely, uh, like stepping on a moving sidewalk, right? You're walking along in the airport and everything's great. And then you step onto a moving sidewalk and your whole fucking world changes, even though it's only a a slight speed increase. (laughs) And then when you step off that moving sidewalk, again, your whole world changes. Right. Even though you've only slowed down a little bit and it's just back to normal. It's like, okay, this is weird, but it's just normal. Yeah. I like that feeling when you suddenly start walking faster. I, I think it's a weird sensation I get, but I think it's fun. There's one uh, moving sidewalk in the Toronto airport that's especially fast. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I haven't been there in a while, of course, but I used to walk on it all the time when I was traveling for work, and uh, 
It was a fun sensation. I don't know what it was, but neat. Anyways, good analogy. Your whole world changes on and off moving sidewalks, and we just hit the moving sidewalk moment for the Walking Dead universe, I think. I think we have. I think we've been walking along at a nice pace, and we understand, uh, and it has gotten a little samey. Like, we've talked about the fact that all the bad guys seem a little samey, and the zombies don't aren't, aren't really a direct threat anymore. Yep. They have to be coupled with some kind of evil intent, uh, some evil intelligence. You need a You need a lich. That's, uh, you know, controlling everything in order for the zombies to be, uh, to be threatening. Uh, now we have zombies all of a sudden in one post credit scene, they're fucking threat again. Like, there's just like, holy shit, how do you deal with that? You can't deal with that. They, you know, unkillable, uh, fast, super strong zombies. Uh, you know, that guy, he shot her in the head and he just booked it. Yep. You know, I thought he was in a rush because, you know, maybe his burrito was almost done in the microwave. Because <laughs> you want to get that on time. You don't want that to cook too long because it just becomes lava and you have to let it sit for 45 minutes after you cook it. Right. Before you can do anything with it. <laughs> That's right. So you got to get there right on time. So maybe I was thinking, you know, he's gotten out of there for whatever uh, reason, but it's because <laughs> you're killing somebody in France uh, means you are now in danger. Yes, it does. You're in, you're in very big danger right now. You get got to get a big metal door between you and them to slow them down. And that's about it. Yeah. Well, and that's why I'm a little bit worried about it because it feels like too much to me. But I, on the other hand, I do sort of agree with you. If you're going to go, go all in and uh, somehow, somehow make this work. So yeah. either way, huge deal. And... We all thought maybe there would be a, a Rick Grimes mention or something like that. Turns out it has nothing to do with that. And here we are getting more about the origins of the zombie virus and what it, you know, what's happening in other parts of the world. Yeah. This is more of a moving sidewalk than what seeing Rick Grimes would have been. Yeah. I think so too. 100%. It's a bigger deal. It's bigger a bigger deal. deal. All right. Well, we'll see where it goes. Uh, One and, more thing. Sure. Uh, so Noah Emmerich. Uh, did he say, and I've been trying to find it again, I think he said the phrase, the other Dr. Jenner. Yes, he did a couple of times. He's- What is that? Did I miss something? Did I, did I forget something about the first season? Uh, what did that mean? Um, first of all, there is a, a, a post on the subreddit for, uh, the Walking Dead World Beyond all about this scene. And somebody was cool enough to go and transcribe- from the closed captions, like everything that Jenner was saying, because yeah. he was still talking while these two people were having their conversation in French, in French, right? It was hard to follow both. Well, you couldn't follow. But I was trying to, uh, I was laughing at the fact that, uh, you know, somebody had to write the script for Noah Emmerich to read. And I'm just, I'm wondering what he's reading and whether it's just complete and utter gibberish just to have the sound of his voice in the background speaking, uh, uh, apparently speaking English. So the fact that it was transcribed meant that he was saying something that actually has relevance. He, he was saying stuff. So yeah, you can go read it. You You can also turn on... Like, because they're speaking in French, there's there's subtitles, right? But if you turn on the closed captioning, you also get Jenner's lines up on top. Really? Yeah, it's difficult. It's impossible to follow. Like, you can't read both, I found. But if you go and read the transcription of it, it's uh, it's pretty handy. But the other Dr. Jenner, I think, is just referring to his wife. When I went back okay. and, and rewatched part of the season one episode he talks about his wife, right. And how he was working with her for a while. So I think that, um, 
that uh, message he recorded was during the time before she died. And he, I guess, refers to her as the other Dr. Jenner. That's a little bit odd, yes. I do like, think it's a little know, bit weird, but I can't think of any other explanation for that. I, yeah, I'm not sure that I would refer to my wife as the other Miles. I like there's Mrs. and Mrs. There's no non-gender specific uh, title that isn't, you know, professional related. Is there Mr. Mrs. Ms. Senator, I guess. Yeah, that's professional related. (laughs) The other Uh, Senator Miles, right? (laughs) The the other right honorable Miles. Yeah. (laughs) Neither of which, which would make you me are. prime minister, right? <laughs> or something uh, like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I don't think I would, you know, if I was talking to you about my wife, I, I think I might refer to her probably as Jenny, uh, maybe as my wife, uh-huh. maybe as my partner. Uh, I wouldn't refer to her as the other person in my house. The other Miles? No, you wouldn't. The other adult in my house. There's, you know, there's two people in my house at the yeah, moment, yeah. Uh, other than me. But the other adult in my house, also with the last name of Miles, I mean, that's kind of awkward, but it just seems like a weird way to refer to your wife. I agree. And I don't remember, again, forgot something. I don't remember if uh, Dr. Jenner's wife was given a name. Like, I don't know if her name was ever spoken, so maybe they didn't want to give her a name, but, uh, or maybe they thought if they did, it would be confusing to the audience. So they thought, we'll just say the other Dr. Jenner, but yeah, it's weird. Like no one would ever say that in real life unless there was some kind of inside joke or something. And maybe there was between Edwin Jenner and the French. I don't know. I might do it as a joke. You're absolutely right. I might refer to my wife as the, uh, the, the other person in my house as, you know, some kind of insight or maybe, you know, if it, if the context was understood as in, in a joke, I probably use that phrase. Right. So maybe there's some context between these two that we don't get, but then we should understand it if it's in the show. So if it's in the it's dialogue. The damn script is for us, not for them, yeah, right? I know. So I don't know. I don't really get it, but I'm pretty sure he was talking about his wife. I don't know why he referred All to right. her that way. Yeah. Anything else? Nope, that was it. All right. Well, huge deal. And, you know, I don't know what this is going to mean. And, but I'm, I'm more anxious than ever to find out. So there you go. All right. Just real quick before we end, uh, no new patrons this week, but we did have a contribution over PayPal, Jason, nice. from a listener whose name is Kat K. And she wrote, in the spirit of Giving Tuesday, please accept this little contribution as a token of my appreciation for all the hard work that goes into making your fabulous podcast. Your familiar voices have been a comforting constant in my life for many years now. And for that, I am very grateful. So thank you, Kat, for those super kind words and for listening and for your contribution and and all that stuff. It is very nice to hear. Uh, and you know, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Now that we're done with Walking Dead World Beyond, we have just one more episode of, uh, Walking Dead to cover for now, of course. Uh, and that will be Fear the Walking Dead coming up in a few days. And then we're going to take a break. We're going to take a little break before we come back with something else. Uh, I will say before the new year. Okay. After the new year. All bets are off. I don't know what's going to happen then, but we'll oh do yeah, the years they just kind of they get odd. <laughs> they do. Actually, I know something we're definitely going to do after the new year. But uh, after this week, take a little break. Uh, 
one more podcast at least before uh, the new year. And then I do have a plan for after, but we'll get to that later. So, uh, but anyways, thank you everyone for, for tuning in and listening. It has been a delight as always. Thanks to all the patrons that have signed up. Thanks to everyone that's contributed via PayPal. And uh, yeah, it's all wonderful stuff. Super. So like I keep saying, one more podcast about fear coming up later this week. If you have any thoughts or comments on that, send them in. I have gotten a few reactions from people. Uh, But how would you do that, you might ask? Well, it's very easy. Go to TalkingDeadPodcast.com and clicking on send voicemail at the top. That means you can record a message and send it to us. Or if you just want to record it into your phone or something like that, you can uh, email us that file as well. And to email it, you do that by sending them to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead. And I did post out that tweet of the guy wearing all the clothes in fear last week. Uh, yep. I thought it was funny. Lots of other people seem to think it was funny and stupid and uh, awesome. had some good reaction to it. So uh, yeah, it just got more ridiculous the more you looked at it, frankly, to be honest. And Twitter's so. still a thing, right? It is indeed still a thing. In fact, it's more of a thing for us than it ever has been. And I'm not super active, but I, I don't know. I just kind of enjoy it more than I ever enjoyed the Facebook, even though we had a lot of people following us on Facebook, but that's all gone now. So Mm, the facey pages, screw you facey pages. Alrighty. uh, That's it for this podcast. See you in a few days, everyone. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ah, hello. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please, sit down. Help yourself to a drink. And welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours. So, welcome to the After Hours uh, I'm about to spoil something. So this is based on a conversation that Chris and I were having during the pod- podcast. And I said, I would, didn't want to spoil something, which I know is odd for me. So, uh, you know, bear with me. This is a, going to be a big spoiler in my opinion for uh, a very popular book and movie franchise known as, uh, Harry Potter. Okay. Harry Potter. So you have been warned spoilers for Harry Potter upcoming. Okay. So. Uh, I just wanted to bring back the discussion we had about um, Silas killing uh, your boyfriend there uh, in order to get into, uh, even though he was dying, right? So he shot him in the head uh, because he was dying in order to prove that he was on the side of the Civic Republic. Yes, indeed. It's exactly what Snape did to Dumbledore. Isn't that not right? Oh, God, you know, I don't know. I've seen all the Harry Potters. The kids are super into it, but I couldn't tell you what happens in those movies, man. <laughs> okay, so Dumbledore, Snape kills Dumbledore. This happens in the books and in the movies. Okay, yeah. Snape is uh, Alan Rickman. Rickman, yes. And he kills Dumbledore. The second Dumbledore, yeah. All right, and he becomes Dumbledead. I remember making Double, that yeah, joke a Double. lot while we were watching the movies. Okay, that's good. The good dad joke. Yeah. Did your kids appreciate it appropriately? Nope. It's their fault. <laughs> yeah. All right, so <laughs> uh, so that's exactly what, and 
Snape is on the side of good, but he is pretending to be on the side of evil. He ultimately becomes a uh, a noble character, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but he kills Dumbledore because uh, Dumbledore's already dying. He's going to die anyway. So Snape and Dumbledore cooked this scheme up for Snape to kill Dumbledore to get in, uh, to seem like he's on the side of evil. All right. I didn't want to spoil that for anybody, but that's exactly the same plot line. Yeah, I can see it. The Walking Dead borrowing from Harry Potter. Who knew? It's first for everything. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.